0: Hey, I'm Hendeleva and welcome to the Immigration Mike podcast, where we take you through the journey and story of every guest and the personal reason why they're fighting for immigrants across the nation in their own way. Find all Immigration Mike interviews on Apple Podcasts now. Here's what's going on in the Immigration Conversation in 20 seconds. Today we're going to be talking about the case of Celine Saavedra Roman, a 28-year-old flight attendant for Mesa Airlines. She's the DACA recipient who was detained for six weeks in ICE custody after flying to Mexico. So instead of reading a review today, I'm going to be recapping this incredibly outrageous mistake that landed this young woman in ICE custody. So I'm going to read this part from uh, BuzzFeed News. Last December, Saavedra Roman completed her flight training and in January she officially joined Phoenix-based Mesa Airlines. She had been on the job for about a month when the company assigned her to a round-trip flight from Houston's George Bush International Airport to Mexico. Saavedra Roman raised concerns about flying outside of the U.S., telling her supervisors she was worried the flight could jeopardize her DACA status. In a joint statement with the Association of Flight Attendants on Friday, The CEO of Mesa Airlines said Saavedra Roman's detention was the result of an administrative error and a misunderstanding and called on the Department of Homeland Security to release her. We are deeply sorry Selena and her husband had to endure this situation. It is patently unfair for someone to be detained for six weeks over something that is nothing more than an administrative error and a misunderstanding, said Mesa Chairman and CEO Jonathan Orenstein said in a statement. We are doing everything in our power to ask the administration to release Selene and drop all the charges stemming from this horrible situation. The holdup, Arroyo speculated, may have been because ICE had sought to revoke Roman's DACA status and to deport her back to Peru, a country that she had not been to since she was three years old. A spokesperson for ICE said Saavedra Roman applied for admission into the country quote-unquote, without valid entry documentation. The statement continued. She was taken into custody by U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers and processed as a refused crew member. Saavedra Roman is currently in ICE custody, pending adjudication of her immigration proceedings. So, Saline is currently out of ICE custody, thank God. But there's a lot to unpack here, so I'm just going to give you a couple of my personal thoughts. The outrage over this incident went viral and even former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton called for her release. It's just the blatant outrageousness this could even happen. It's incomprehensible, but it's a reminder that the immigration stories you hear on this podcast of people being in danger of losing their status over a mistake which may not be entirely their own fault is very, very real. It also serves as another wake up call to the very real urgency of comprehensive immigration reform to put permanent protections in place. But you already know the state of our union when Betsy DeVos is out here calling for defunding the Special Olympics in order to get more money to fund Trump's wall. And lastly, it's another reminder that the issue of immigration reform goes across sectors. For example, I could have never imagined this would have rocked the travel industry to this magnitude. Now there are thousands of people who are more aware and have been made knowledgeable to the need for comprehensive immigration reform. Basically thoughts top floor dreams. I don't want to think of this is not for me. I don't want your shoulders and I don't need your pity. I just want to shine, wanna put on for my city it's the week of march 28th and today we have an interview with alejandro flores muñoz who is a self-described undocumented activist a full-time political program director and the founder of Unum sunglasses and progressive button but before we get to it the best way to support the podcast is by your rating and review on apple podcasts here's how to do it in three simple steps one open the podcast app on your iphone and type in immigration m-i-c two scroll down to ratings and reviews and click on leave a review three rate and write your review and that's it so when you're done listening to this episode with alejandro go back and do this and i'll read your review on a future episode are now tuned into the immigration mic podcast make sure to visit at immigration mic podcast on instagram and facebook i am Hendel, your host for this episode and on the immigration mic we have alejandro flores muñoz who is an undocumented activist and entrepreneur Uh, say hi to all, all of our listeners
1: hey what's up everyone thank you for having me on
0: yes and uh so you know just a short story of how we connected um I just randomly slid into your DMs. I was like, "Yo, yeah. no, actually, uh, I think you were on the podcast page, or you liked one of the the posts on the podcast mm-hmm. page." And then I went to your page and I saw that you have a lot going on, uh, and I was like, "Yo, like, I, I want to talk to him and see what he's up to and uh, everything he has going on." And uh, you were very enthusiastic to do this. So why don't you tell me, like, why you're so enthusiastic for this opportunity? <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and, and the reason why I went and liked your page um, is because that's one of the tactics that I'm using to be able to network. Um, and it, it gets me excited to be able to speak with, with people specifically in the podcast world because I particularly take my all my resources and, and education, would that be entertainment, or motivational. I take mine through podcasts. And so I made it a priority that I want to get myself into more podcasts to just one, share um, my entrepreneurship hustle, which um, I feel like a lot of millennials have um, in this day of, eight, day of time right now. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that I talked about and I break to the forefront, the struggles, the um, opportunities, the just, just, just the, the drive that undocumented immigrants um, and even immigrants bring into the entrepreneurship uh, world. Uh, and so I wanted to just you know, get out there and really just share that. Um, but along with that, along with just sharing the entrepreneurship venture, comes my my like just life story my story of how i'm an immigrant and how i am able to thrive here in this country despite all the policies and everything that's happening um and just like i do it i know there's hundreds and thousands of other people out there who less who have less opportunities than i do as a person who can speak the language somebody who has a profession in the political world i have a lot of privilege um, that others don't and so you know that's one of the reasons why i fight and i and, and I am really excited just to share more because I I know that there are folks out there who, um, are uh, can be better off with just some some information. Um, that sometimes it takes inf- it just takes information.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's great to hear, and I'm excited to get into all of that with you. Uh, so let's start at the very beginning. This is a question I ask all my guests. Uh, first question is, so who is Alejandro? Like, who are who am I meeting today?
1: Yeah. Um, if you were to ask, and I get this a lot from people that are like, I like to say I'm like a hustler. I hustle. I'm always hustling. Mm. Um, I'm always doing some sort of like, um, you know, I'm always trying to make that dollar somewhere, some somehow. Right. And, yeah. um, but I'm also just like always just work, like just moving. I'm, I'm constantly moving, 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 moving. So, you know, I think I am a person who. Um, is figuring them, like I'm figuring myself out. Um, I'm, you know, have had the opportunity to really, you know, work, uh, on my profession and what I like to do, which is political work, doing campaign work. Um, and so Alejandro is a person who works on campaigns. Um, most people who know me and have met me have met me through working either on campaigns um, or just are part of the neighborhood. But mostly my, my network comes from um, campaigning and electoral work. Um, so I would say I'm, I'm a person who's, who's engaged um, and who's just trying to make that dollar.
0: That's dope. So, so you're a hustler and you're a p- political operative. So that's pretty cool. Uh, yes. So, so, you know, you mentioned your life story. Let's get right into that. Talk to me about your life story, where it begins, and uh, how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, so I was brought to, the, to this country when I was seven years old, um, along with my younger brother, who's uh, three years old at the time. Um, and, you know, this was something that my mo- a decision my single mother had to make uh, and I had to come to this country through no fault of my own, like many of my peers who um, are DACA recipients. Um, we often just know this country to be our only home. Um, and so I grew up with that. I came when I, again when I was seven years old and it was two different decisions that my mom had to make when she was 28 years and old.
0: What's your home country?
1: Yeah, um, I was born in Guadalajara, Guadalajara Mexico. Um, right. Younger brother and I, both. My mom was born in Guadalajara. We're all from Guadalajara, we're Haliciencias. That's where my beautiful eyes come from. Um, okay. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, no, we came to this country in 1997, um, and part of it was because my brother um, has a uh, had a heart has a heart condition um, and had to have open heart surgery, um, you know, very very soon. And That was in. Provided in Mexico, um, as well. My mom had to escape uh, an abusive relationship uh, uh, with my father, um, and something that I didn't recognize or understood at seven years old. Um, but now that I'm older, I am so happy that my mom made those made that bold decision to bring you know, us to this country because ultimately she wanted a better life for herself and she wanted to provide us a better life. And I can guarantee you, man, that for that very reason, I am better off today because of that bold move my mom made. And so when we first arrived to this country, we came to Southern California that's where most of our family um, lives. Um, And in Southern California, we put our, grew our, our, our roots. I Went to high school there, you know, in Orange County, my first job. Um, I also was introduced to politics and campaigning at at that time.
0: So, So start by talking to me a little bit about like what it is, you know, what were your formative years like, you know, say like elementary, middle school, leading up to high school?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, like, for you know, elementary for me was very scattered. I went to five different elementary schools when I was in you know in in, in that grade. I um, moved a lot. It was constantly moving because we either had to move with different relatives, um, or the relatives we moved with actually had to move themselves. And so, like, there was a lot of this. You know, there was there was definitely no sense of security. I um, you know, never really ha- had my own room until I left my house mm-hmm. um, uh, when I was 25 years old. And so all that time, I either shared a room, I shared a living room. Um, and so, you know, it was definitely a, a struggle looking back. And, um, you know, those were my elementary years. And when I was getting into middle school, I think that's when my mom really just wanted to find some stability. Um, wh- one of the boldest, one of the things we did is my mom and uh, our, our family moved to uh, Northern California, where the only job that my mom can find at that time was a field job. So she was working in the fields, mm-hmm. uh, onions, and we did that only for a little bit because my mom, you know, it was really hard for her. Um, so we came back down to um, Southern California. And I think that's after coming back from Living in Northern California um, is when I started seeing a lot more stability in my home. Um, my mom was able to find a job as a um as a uh, custodian at the University of Vermont, a janitor. And um She's been there for, since uh, I can remember, for a long time, probably 12, 13 years, if I'm not mistaken, maybe longer, working for the University of California, Irvine. Um, and that's when I was barely um, leaving uh, junior high. <clears throat> and high school years, I joined the wrestling team.
0: Okay,
1: cool. I was in the wrestling team. Um, and really, in the wrestling team is where I found family. Mm. Um able to find a a lot of folks who were going through my same uh, struggles, who we couldn't afford cleats, we couldn't afford gear, we couldn't afford to go to trips. And so there was a sense of like everybody around me was going through the same struggles. We all lived in what bedroom apartments, some of us lived in garages. Mm -hmm. And so like struggle was so real. And and that's when I feel um, that I felt like a sense of like, you know, community for the first time with my wrestling team.
0: So let me, let me, you know, go into that a little bit because I was on the wrestling team in middle school. Uh, Wasn't very good. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm very interested in, uh, I mean, I got into wrestling because, you know, I liked professional wrestling. (laughs) So I got uh, the lucha. Um, And, you know, I'm a big WWE fan. But um, talk to me more about, like, I want to know what made you get into wrestling as a sport Mm -hmm. and, like, what psychology did you get from it that you applied later on
1: yeah i think it, it was the the commitment to doing the hard work before the match right so like m- you know matches are not that long they're they're short right. very short compared to um, all the work that needs to happen so that you don't get tired in the first round. So the first three minutes, you don't wanna get tired. And so all the hard work that had to be put in to to a match um, had to, you know, it's what I, I live by. I understand that a lot of the work that I do, whether that be in the campaign world or in my own ventures, entrepreneurship ventures, that there is a lot of let work that has to happen before so that when you do execute the 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 program or you, Move forward. Um, it it looks like you know everything was done so easily, but really a lot of hard work was put into time, into there. So I, I think that hard work um, really, you know, I was able to see it. But I think more importantly, just a, a sense of community, and, and I, I think community was really digged into me there, and and then just the friendships that I made. Um, and it was through also, you know, two through different way two different ways that I got involved in in politics. One. Was through my mom. One of my mom's first jobs here in the United States was as a um, community organizer, yeah. going door to door, um, getting people to be for residents to become residents, to become US citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she would also work on election uh, campaigns. So in 1997, she was knocking doors for, um, at that time, candidates. Uh, uh, that were a lot of them first time elected into office who now are Congress members who are Mm -hmm. in, in, you know, part of our community leadership. Um, and my mom took me alongside her when I was seven years old, eight years old. And I have pictures of me as a little kid holding a a literature sign Mm -hmm. knocking or, um, little did I know. And I, and I hated it by the way, I hated. Mm -hmm it just wasn't my thing. I was a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old. I didn't like it. I liked the free food that the campaign offices provided. But other than that, you know, I didn't like being in the sun knocking on doors with my mom. But it wasn't until high school when I was in the wrestling team that my coach was approached by, um, at that time, Senator Lou Correa in in California, uh, who needed bodies to go knock on doors. And so the Senator gave a big donation to the wrestling team in exchange for us helping with the campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, and from that, we, I got introduced to some, some of this campaign work and I was like, Oh, this is very familiar. My mom does this. And so like felt natural to me. Um, and I was then able to get a campaign job. Um, from just that volunteer work that we were doing into getting an actual campaign job when I was 16 years old, um, registering people to vote. Um, So at 16, I began my paid campaign uh, experience uh, and didn't stop since then. I've been doing campaign work, Pretty much every single year since two thousand and
0: six. That's pretty cool. Like, so you have this like background already, like both from your mom and like you know from your early years, um, mm-hmm. which has led to the work that you're currently doing now. Um, Correct. Where does the national immigration conversation fit into your story during this time?
1: Yes. Yeah, so you know, I didn't know where it fit in, and I wasn't, you know, even though. When I was 16 years old, I was registering people to vote. Um, I knew I was undocumented, and I knew that I could be deported at any moment. Um, however, I, I I wasn't really aware of all the, like the mechanisms that were being played behind the scenes to either pass immigration reform or, you know, just information that can can uh, guide me towards, like, having an opinion other than what I was living at the moment. Um, looking back, um, everything that I've lived, my lived experiences have shaped my, you know, thinking of immigration, how it should be dealt with in, in, in policy. Um, but at the time, you know, DACA wasn't around either. So, like, I wasn't very vocal of, like, you know, this is my und- und- undocumented experience, um, Again, I, I knew that my friends and people around me were in the same boat. So it was, you know, it wasn't as a struggle in terms of like having to deal with other people not understanding what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, it, it shaped a lot of it now mm-hmm. and, and how I think now.
0: So, so yeah, so definitely, you know, so you're talking about your early campaign work. I mean, take me through that experience and like where it's led you to.
1: Sure, sure. Yes. Yeah, so um, one of the, you know, it was working door-to-door, registering people to vote, um, and it was in my hometown in, in Santana, um, California, which I, you know, now can say that I probably have knocked on every single neighborhood in that city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, from there, I really was introduced into this world of, like, possibilities that th- things can really change and really started engaging into like understanding that my status um, and my immigration status, there was people who were fighting to change that. And so I wanted to be part of that. Um, and so when I went back to high school in my high school years, I wanted to get involved in student government. And so I got involved in my you know local student government in high school, um, in, in uh, Mountain View High School and which, by the way, was a continuation high school because I got kicked out of my regular high school, mm-hmm. um, my traditional high school, um, because of my low grades, poor grades that I had. And it was just a, a, a high school to like help you get your grades up. And in that high school, it was only 300 students. And so I was actually really able to thrive in that student government because mm-hmm. one students that went to those high schools traditionally, you know, weren't students who wanted to get involved or who wanted to be represented. Um, When I went to Mountain View High School, I realized that there was a group of students that um, were not, their voices weren't being heard because they didn't go to a traditional high school. They didn't go to the big high schools. They were just like, they were looked at as the bad kids and the, the who behave bad go to these continuation high schools, and so um, I saw that and decided to get involved and 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 inserted myself into the conversation for district meetings and just really became um, uh, given the opportunity to attend those those kind of discussions that I thought were really fun and that, you know, I can really bring back something back to my, to my, to my campus, to my school. Mm-hmm. And so that plant was, seed, you know, that seed was planted there um, and continue my work in uh, doing voter registration. And so I, I also, I was started to feel engaged towards elected officials and like really getting to see how they worked. Um, and I saw that how accessible they were. I would mm-hmm. attend regular events now, like, you know, whatever chalk walk or whatever walk was happening or whatever community event was around, I was participating. You know, this is now me around 17 years old, 18
0: years old. So let me ask you, like, what would you say about accessibility to elected officials? Like, what do, you know, everyday people need to know about accessibility?
1: Yeah, I think one is that they really do need help. Elected officials need help in terms of like, both to like engage community, but help in like, just being real to them and like, hey, this is, like if you are able to to really have the ear of an elected official, because this happens all the time where like some, you meet an elected official, you shake their hand and you tell them the issue that you care about and like, I'm not sure that carries through long-term in that elected official's mind, but if you're able to connect with someone and an elected official specifically in the local level, where you can, you know, have them in your text as a text buddy, or like if you message them on Facebook and they reply back, like I think it's really keeping it real, mm-hmm. real with with them um, of like issues that you're facing, issues that like you're like this is how it affects me. I think those things will, um, help, but then you also have an opportunity to just share your points of view on different topics, which is something that. <clears throat> at, um, when I started getting involved in going to community events because I wanted to be informed, um also reached out to a local city councilwoman who at that time was the youngest. Um it probably was yeah, at the time was the youngest one of the youngest um elected officials in the state of California. I believe she was twenty-seven years old. Um and to a major city, city of over three hundred and fifty thousand residents. So it's a you know pretty big right. um, position and she was very young and, and so I felt a connection to her. She was only 10 years older than me. I was 17 at the time. And so I reached out. She felt accessible. Um and I just kept coming back to her events. I would find out where the events were coming and I would just show up and and you know say hey you do you need help with breaking down on the event, breaking down the event out and I'll help out. Um, and then really later getting able to connect with councilwoman Michelle Martinez um, who, um, really just took me under her wing. Um, so I, you know, had a lot of things that helped me shape, shape my, my now political work. And one of those big things was, you know, as I mentioned to, to you before, it was my mom because of her early work for sure. It was the wrestling team who had the opportunity to get me a job in the campaign world. Mm-hmm. And then Michelle Martinez, a councilwoman who was in the trenches of electoral election work and, and just, um, policymaking, and really took me under her wing. She became my mentor. Um, she she put me in positions that a seventeen year old shouldn't have, right? Like she made she named me her field director for one of her campaigns, and I only had worked knocking on doors for maybe two cycles. And and I hadn't, you know, it was just really her just saying, look, you and I, we're both going to figure this out because it was also her first time running for office and everything she was trying to figure out at the same time. But she knew that she needed to give back. Mm-hmm. And like, it's like now how I'm trying to just say, hey, I'm running a business right now. And if anyone is has questions or is interested in learning how I got started, you can hit me up and I'm accessible. Right. The same thing, but with policy work. Hey, I'm going through this. And if I see that you're a, a young youth and you want to learn this and you want to be involved, I'm going to invite you in. And it's up to you whether you take on it and you continue to come through or not. And so I decided to come through. Um, and uh, then I went to college, Santa College, I graduated. It's
0: funny how like, you no, know, I mean, it's great how you got all this experience and then you went to college. That No, that I mean, that's that's a major props to her for, like, you know, taking that chance and, like, um, giving an opportunity, seeing, like, probably how ambitious you were and how, like, how much you wanted it and giving that opportunity. So major props to her. Uh, yeah. You know, talk, talk to me about college after that.
1: Yeah. I went to community college, Santana Community College. Um, and really, my jo- wanting to go to college wasn't like, oh, I want to... I'm excited for all the homework. I, I don't think anybody's excited for all the homework, no, but I just, I'm just not the educational route type of guy. Okay. Um, and looking back, like the reason why I really stick on, stick, st- stayed in college th- for the long this was because I decided to also get involved in student government there. And so like, I was just like, what do I need to do to keep that, you know, minimum grade point average? that will allow me to still continue to be involved in student government. Because that was, like, what I wanted to be. I wanted to just be, like, doing the fun stuff. But, oh, you know, and by fun stuff, I mean, like, speaking up for students, uh, you know, making sure that tuition doesn't go up on students. And if, they, if they're if they trying to have tuition rise, that we have a voice. And so, like, for me, that's fun. Um,
0: and the thing is, like, something like that, you know, like, that's, that's the grunt work of, like, that type of work. Because I think, like, for the like the majority of people like they don't have time to be involved in those specific issues so like you need people to like actively be advocating like to keep your your money in your pocket mm-hmm. you
1: know yes 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 um and d- during that time i got involved in student government and i was elected as a um, just a, a senator a student government senator that's where my hashtag with my with my tagline from for my instagram mm-hmm. comes Flores. um i got instagram right you no know, Senator Flores just became my nickname. Okay, cool, cool. In um, the student government, and I was um, a senator there, and involved of uh, involved in um, in my first year when I was eighteen, and decided to run for student body president um, at you know the, my my when I was eighteen years old, um, and I won. Um, I also you know utilized all my campaign experience. I you know I I, I did flyers, I did posters, I. I ran this like 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 a true campaign, right, you know. Right. I organized professors to allow me to come and speak in their classrooms. Like I was doing, I was doing the whole thing, um, and so I won. I be, I became um, one of the first undocumented um, immigrants to you know represent Santa Monica College. Before me, uh, there was a president who was also uh, undocumented. However, she didn't speak um, on it as much and liberally as you know, as I did. Um, and that was just because, and even I didn't speak at, on, on it as much uh, as my status, because this was p- prior to uh, DACA. Mm-hmm. We didn't have DACA at the time. At the time it was the DREAM Act. We were trying to fight for the DREAM Act. Right. Um, we were passing student government legislation that would, uh, you know, support the DREAM Act. We would encourage our school board to send letters to the governor to pass the, the DREAM Act. Um, and so, it wasn't a thing yet, but I knew that I was in a position where I had to share that I was an uh, a, a, a undocumented immigrant and I would benefit from these kinds of things. So I was a little bit more outspoken, but it wasn't to a point where I was fully out. Right. right. Um, and so I gained a lot also more experience as student body president. Um, at this time now, elected officials wanted to get my endorsement, you know, that kind of stuff. I was being reached out to like hey you know can you come and speak at this event and it, you know it was you uh, know it was an opportunity for me to just like really get involved at a level where I could just send an email and say hey we are looking to do this and things will get rolling and get moving and so I you know wanted to be in a position where I I don't always say that I want to be in in that leadership position, but I wanna be in in the table where decisions like that are being made and things can move very quickly. Um, So um, I learned a lot during that time as student body president. I ran for reelection and won. And so I served um, two terms as student body president of uh, Santa Ana Community College representing 280,000 students. Um, And uh, I then at 19, or maybe 20, um, you know, after two years being at community college, I can transfer out to state college. Um, and that's when I was presented with an opportunity to work um, on a campaign or continue to go to school. Um, and so I decided to that I was young enough where I can go back to school at a later time. Next campaign, that's what I said. You know, I was like, next, next camp. When this campaign is over, I'll enroll and then I'll do college. Um, well, another campaign came after every camp. Like there was a campaign after every campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was no time for me just to really go to school, so I decided to just hold my education and just d- uh, dive into this campaign world. Mm-hmm. And I continued to have jobs in campaign for local elected officials. So I went on and did work for Councilwoman Michelle Martinez. I went and did work for the Mayor of Santa Ana. Mm-hmm. Um, I did work for initiatives in Santa Ana, um, that you know, and you know, passing things that weren't being passed before. Like we were one of the first cities before California legalized marijuana to mm-hmm. legalize marijuana um, in two thousand 12 I believe maybe this happened um so there was just a lot of work that I picked up um in in Orange County um and you know I that's where like my whole life lived like my whole political world mm-hmm. and my experiences and my lived experiences were all basically in Santa Ana mm-hmm. um, in 2015 um I applied for a job um and that would require me to move out of state, um, a, a campaign group that was, it's a vendor group. Basically they're a firm that gets hired to do, to run campaigns. So if I want to run a campaign and I don't want to build the infrastructure, I can hire a company that has that, the, all the infrastructure to be able to launch a campaign. Mm-hmm. And so I, I work for the, at the organization called grassroots, grassroots campaigns. Um, and I moved from California to Boston in 2000, when I was 25 years old. And at that time, I just wanted to expand my knowledge of campaign work outside of Santa Ana. I knew there was so much more for me to learn, Um, and and I am so glad I made that decision because it was really at grassroots campaigns that I was able to develop skills that I that lived in me because. I've been knocking on doors for a very long time. And so I've developed strategies and, and skills on my own to be able to engage voters that I was really able to be developed, um, at grassroots campaigns because we had a lot of trainings. We had a lot of, um, experience there, people with years of experience on, on running. Campaigns. Um, and so I came in there as an assistant director, hmm. um, and when I left that organization, I left, um, as a deputy field director. So, um, I really grew, um, in the maybe two years that I was there, but during the time there, I grassroots campaigns, I was able to run campaigns in, um, Boston, New York, mm-hmm. um, Las Vegas, wow. Connecticut, uh, Philadelphia. Um, and I lived two to three months in each of these cities um, where I got to meet many people um, I got able I was able to um, you know and I was always really focused on the like it was depending on the on the client that we got but it often m- meant hiring and working in communities of color um, so I was able to work at the Bronx for example in, in the Bronx and, and really get to, live through what I've heard as a kid the Bronx were or like what the projects were like I just hearing that in songs or seeing it but like I remember my first door that I knocked on it and it was inside a project building and it's like just the everything that I've heard and learned and like at the end of the day that person who opens the door you know it could be my mom it could be you know that people because we've been all put in the same side Set of almost barriers that allow, that prevents us from moving forward and building wealth. Um, so yeah, I think I, you know, come kind of, you know, moving things forward. I'm um, now working in Denver um, for grassroots campaigns, running a uh, running a camp, a statewide campaign, mm-hmm. um, knock on three hundred and fifty thousand doors. Um, and I was working here with an organization called America Votes through my employer, Gratio's Campaigns. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we did the, finish the work for America Votes. Um, you know, we this was back in this was in 2016 for the presidential campaign, we knocked on, um, delivered on on the work that we were going to do and then continue on my work with gra- grassroots campaigns. Um, but then a few months later, a position became available at um, America Votes mm-hmm. for a political director position, which I decided to apply. Um, I was encouraged, I also knew the staff already um, because I had previously worked with them. So they also had knew the work and the level of work that I did and that I brought um, and so before you know it, went through a bunch of interview processes, and I was hired um, to be the political director, um, political program director for America Votes Colorado. Um, that alone, for me, was a very scary position to have. It was a very scary, and, and I and I still can't believe that I've had it for you know over a year now. So this,
0: this is your position now. Position now. Great, yes. great. It's it's yes. it's great listening to you. You know tell me where you came from and like, you know, kind of like how you've been empowered and you've hustled your way to like being a political director. So props to you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And so like, and and like, you're absolutely right. I hustled my way through it because like those times that I'm telling you working at grassroots campaigns and all the other campaigns in Santa Ana, like I was going in and working from like 9am to 11pm. You know, there were some times where We would, I would even go put up signs for the candidate and like working really, really late and just like putting in all the time. And so like all that knowledge and experience that I gained, I was able to walk in to um, jobs where they would, everybody around me would have a bachelor's degree or like political science degree or some sort of degree, right? They were very young, right? I was 25, but there was people who were 22, 21, you know, 23, and they had their degrees and here I I am in a whole different state without a degree. And I, that was one of the things that scared me the most, but then realized that I have 10 years of experience already at 25 on campaigns. Mm -hmm. Your degree didn't compare to the knowledge that I was bringing in Mm -hmm. camp, you know, the campaign world. Um, and, and so I know that it was the, all that hustle and all that drive that put me to this position that I am right now. Like I was very scared to apply for this uh, role. I even actually asked to withdraw my application Mm. from the process. Mm. I didn't feel that I had it in me educationally to be able to succeed in this role. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because. Like, when you look at the job descriptions and stuff, like, it required a lot of, like, writing and sitting behind a desk. I felt like in an office, like, I'm the type of guy who I was, like, knocking on doors in an office for only an hour and then going out to the field on the phones, talking to voters, um, you know, carrying waters to an event. Like, that was me. Like, I was, like, I'm really good at field and, and, and that type of work. I am I just don't feel that I my strengths are not in communications and like writing an email or writing instructions for how to, you know, put together a training. Like I can put together a training, I can do a training very easily on how to knock the I cannot convey that put that into a structure plan that can be sent out for somebody to read and learn from it. Like I can't. Do that. Um
0: so so let me let me ask you this. Um, so we have about fifteen Maybe I'll push it to twenty, but I do want to ask you uh, to spend a little bit of time talking about um, the announcement of DACA, uh, what that you know, what you have seen that done for yourself and your community, and then a little bit about the twenty sixteen elections, and then we'll end it off talking about your uh, your other businesses. How does that sound? Cool, cool. cool. So yeah, so, so talk to me about uh, the announcement of DACA in two thousand twelve.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so the announcement of DACA at that time. Um, I was working on I was working on the voter registration campaign, and I remember, you know, the, the announcement, and I didn't under, really comprehend what it was, but I was involved enough to know where to go find the answers of what was happening. I knew where to search, I knew where to look for it. And even came to a place where like all my friends. We're asking me, hey, we know you're involved. You know, we know that DACA came, to, what does this mean for us? And so I knew that community was gonna be asking me. So I made sure to like, just be as knowledgeable as possible in this topic, but also know who the players were that actually knew their shit and neither like what they were talking about. And so there was various groups, um, whether that be campus groups or whether that be community groups that I wanted to make sure I knew to, to direct people. Um, uh, but it opened so many opportunities for me. Um, one of those things I remember the first time that I was able to, so I got my DACA, like, I don't, rem- I don't remember the month, uh, that I got it, but I remember that, um, like two or three months after I got it. Um, I was, um, there was an opportunity for me to go th- to fly to sh- Chicago, uh, for a conference comp- of the National, it's not Leo Conference, the National Association of Latino Elected Officials. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to go with my mentor as surplus one. And that was the first opportunity where like, I was like, DACA has allowed me to come all the way to another state network with elected officials mm-hmm. from across the country and just that right there said, okay, I can get, I can do so much now. I can do so much more. I need to, like, Santana for me was just this, right? So, like, two years later, I, I was like trying to find a way how I can, like, expand my knowledge. So, really, DACA allowed me to apply for jobs that I wasn't able to apply otherwise, um, which led to me working uh, at grassroots campaigns. Uh, DACA allowed me to give me a, a sense of freedom to be able to just pick up and travel wherever I want within the United States, of course. Um, And, and then that just developed also a sense for like, okay, if this ever goes away, what am I going to do? Right. And so like, that's a question that I, I thought about a lot and, and it was, well, go back to do the things that I knew, I mean, that I was doing before, but that meant like, you know, maybe not having opportunities to jobs, that I do now. And that's not going to be good because that means that I'm just not going to, I'm going to say perhaps stuck in a place where I don't want to get stuck. And so entrepreneurship came as a plan B for me, like, okay, if DACA ever goes away, I know that I can survive through my hustle and my drive. And, and so that's where in 2013, a year later getting DACA, I launched Unum Sunglasses. Um, which um, has been a side hustle for me for the past five years. So I yeah.
0: mean, d- describe it. Describe it for me, definitely. You know, I'm looking on the uh, Instagram website and uh, very intrigued. T- tell me what it's about.
1: Yeah, so Unum Sunglasses is just a, a eyewear brand um, that is very affordable. They are ten dollars sunglasses. I um, I'm a sunglass kind of guy, uh, but I also lose my sunglasses uh, all okay. the time. And and like I remember when I would lose my Ray Bans, I cannot go the next week or maybe two weeks to buy a new new, another one. Like I would have to wait.
0: Expensive, yeah. Right, like
1: one hundred and fifty bucks, two hundred bucks. Yeah, no, that's like a birthday gift um, kind of thing. And so I wanted to create a brand that was um, you know accessible for a lot of people, Uh, but more importantly, I wanted just to create something that can just create some sort of structure for me. And for others to be able to just to sell anything like I know that in my community, like from I come from a family of merchants. Um, My mom was a merchant in Mexico. She even hustles here. She sells cheesecakes and sells perfumes and colchas and like all my family is are merchants. They're they're hustlers. Um, And so, like, I knew that if somebody, for example, wanted to sell a ball. That they can replace my sunglasses and put a ball there and describe what the ball will do for you, and you can sell that right. using from that or the like the the template that I had created. Mm. So I knew from that beginning that I wanted to create a template, and so along the way, along the years, that template has expanded, and I've gotten very good at explaining that template and showing other people how they can use this template of entrepreneurship um, because I've used it in. Other ways as well. So I from sunglasses, um, and it continues to be so.
0: Yeah, and and so um, actually, uh, I might just order something from you for the summer. Uh, yeah, you know, because because I agree with the Ray Bans. You know, that's why I don't mm-hmm. buy Ray Bans. Um, now, Progressive Button is your other company, right? Yes. Did you start this around the same time?
1: No, I started this later, and mm-hmm. so just one of the things when I say side hustles. When I say side hustle there, it's literally a side hustle because like I I just described all the work that I was doing on the campaign, campaign work. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. And so like, I'm, I'm left with very little time to work on my side hustles, but I've also just used it as a way to distract myself from the campaign work. And I wanted to do something that was just like mine. Um, and you know, using that template and using at the same time, my campaign skills, and organizing skills and the stuff that I've gained over the years, I created Progressive Button. I was at the Women's March in 2017, the the Women's March. um, And I saw, in Washington DC, I saw hundreds of thousands of people hitting the streets, right? And I was doing uh, organizing work there. And I remember walking around and seeing people selling shirts, selling buttons, selling water, selling. But I saw mostly shirts. And I saw, I'm like, this is a perfect, this is something that I, I want to be able to monetize something like this. I am in rallies and events all the time. Like I know where they're happening when they're, when they're at, cause it's part of my work, it's part of the work that I do. Um, and so I wanted to create a, 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 a product to be able to sell, um, at these rallies and marches. And so I created progressive button, which is a a button company that um, I'm sure if you can nice. see it here. I do see it. It's documented and unafraid. Um, but they are buttons with various progressive messages. That's where the uh, name comes from, progressive button. Um, have over 50 progressive messages. And um, my thought when I created this, I was like, oh, I want to sell some buttons, you know, make an extra 50 to 100 bucks <clears throat> uh, per event. And, you know, that's a good, you know, that's a good treat yourself dinner mm-hmm. kind of a and little did i know how successful this was going to work i can send you i can show you a picture if you scroll down um, my instagram or even progress and i literally set up the buttons on the floor uh, at one of the marches in april a text march here in denver with a little sign that said buttons two for five bucks mm-hmm. and i sold out that, that so i made like 550 bucks wow. that event right and i was like Wait a minute! This is a lot of money. This is, you know, this is great. That's almost half of my rent. Um, and so I was like researching like when are the next marches and the events are happening. So like I line myself up. And in 2017, I hit up probably like nine events and marches all across the country in L in L A. actually, just in California and here um, and in Washington D C. So it was wherever I was at for work. I would also use it for s- selling my side hustle. Mm-hmm. And by the end of 2017, I made like nine grand just selling buttons. And that's the side hustle that I'm trying to promote. I'm saying like, look, an extra 200 bucks a month, 300, 500 bucks a month to a person like myself and to my family and to the people who come from my community can mean sleeping in the living room to finally being able to rent a a one bedroom apartment, Mm -hmm. Uh, means being able to um, have better quality food around the table. You know, so it means, it means a lot. It means security. It means, uh, it means less stress, 500 bucks. That's what it means for our community. And so I'm trying to promote, promote this, this side hustle of like, everyone can have one. And more importantly, like scaling up, um, a lot of, like I know for my mom, like when she goes and sells her, you know, her perfumes or las colchas or, you know, you know,
0: whatever it is Tupperware. the the slice of cheesecake I'm probably going to order from her (laughs) the cheesecakes,
1: like whenever she goes and sells that she only like makes enough to like get her through the next round of you know bills or to like yeah right it's never thought of like how can I leave wealth behind how can I leave that wealth behind and that's I think because we are often too many times having to think about all the system we don't have to think about it but the systems are playing on on against us that don't make us realize that there are more for us if we can scale up or if we can just you know push this barrier aside, there's more for us there. And so I want to come to a place where we change the culture of our entrepreneurship, specifically with people of color and realizing that we need to take away barriers so they can allow them to scale up. And that's one of the things that I want to focus. Is um, how can we help people scale up? How can we help people from just selling enough to be able to get them to their nice, next round of bills to, hey, I'm able to now create a savings or I'm able to now um, move into a bigger space. I'm able to hire one more person. Um, and that's where also my, um, yeah, I've some of my, speaking engagements that I do and, and why I want to come on a podcast is to share message messages, to yeah. share like how I was able to go f- starting my, um, Unum sunglasses, progressive button. And again, I'm saying, I'm not no Mark Zuckerberg. Like I'm not trying to create Facebook here. I'm just trying to make an extra 500 bucks a month or an extra 1000 bucks a month. Like that's all I'm trying to do uh, that. I was trying to do. Right. Um,
0: so, uh- I mean let me let me just because we have to wrap up in about 6 7 minutes I want to cool. definitely get your thoughts on the current political moment and the Trump administration like you know what do you think what's going on
1: Yeah um well you know, we I it's a very divisive very very divisive in a in a place in a place where that's where the Republican party and GOP win by dividing people and we need to come to a place where talking about immigration, the way that it's being talked about, where it portrays immigrants as the bad people, um, is not a correct place to start. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it shifts to us now, it shifts to people like myself to have to share their stories and their narrative to dismantle that, that barrier already. And so, I am excited for 2020 and hopeful that, that we change our administration that will move the conversation as to, like, the people, like, the actual people it's affecting. Right. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't have much to say about Trump other than we have to keep doing the work that we're doing. Like, I have to keep the work that I'm doing in terms of speaking my, my mind, you know, telling people how they can navigate through barriers, showing people how, you know, the struggles that others face so that they can change their mindset and use their privilege and their vote to change the conversation to a better direction. Um, so yeah, that's where I stand there.
0: Okay. And then like with your experience, um, you know, having done your work, uh, all these years, lessons from the 2016 election that candidates should apply to 2020.
1: Yeah, I think it would be not to be afraid to use the real struggles of people. So like, of oh, the story, like, like not use them, but like embed them into your narrative. Like if you're trying to change a policy, like talk about the people who it's really truly going to affect, like get into the nitty and greedy of like, this is going to help uplift our community in this way and, and this Uh, way regardless of who it's helping regardless if it's undocumented people or if it's immigrants or if it's refugees or if it's the LGBTQ community just talk about your policies of like real people who it's going to impact and who who it's going to affect because then if I hear somebody who is running on a platform that's going to better my community and I can see the people who is going to help then I'm going to want to go through that but it's also more importantly engaging people in the community like this that you're not able to develop a platform if you're not engaging your people in your community and so that's knocking on doors talking to people like what their issues are and really figuring out what those issues are and and then implement those into a plan
0: okay well you know um so this is you know final words you know definitely this is your opportunity to uh give words of encouragement you know either to your community or like you know mm-hmm. I, you, you know you know actually you you kind of like strike me like as a Gary V kind of guy or like mm-hmm. you know one, one of those like motivational speakers so so why don't you just hit us with like a couple of minutes of knowledge that you want to leave us with
1: yeah um like I think we're at a time where we just break through um as I- immigrants um and 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 be able to create wealth i i often you know just from what my lived experiences have been is that we're consistently having to just survive and just figure it out to enough to survive Um, and some of us are are you know closer to the start line than others Um, but there's like for example your typical white man who gets to start in the and start in the front of the start line but then there are people like me who get to start several feet behind the start line. And so what I'm trying to say is that we need to be able to get us to the start line. And in order to get us to the start line, we have to change the culture and the mentality of how we think about wealth. Mm. Um, and that is, we have to be able to um, encourage um, this big decisions uh, both family, like family needs to sometimes let go. Like I am glad I was able to leave California and my family and also some of the problems that come with my family and just be able to start into a fresh new start that allowed me to really think through um, and develop my own way of thinking and using my lived experiences that have left, led to, me deciding that, you know what, in order for me to change the culture, I also need to leave my job. So I have, you know, have resigned from my current job um, to uh, allow me to focus 100% of my time in my, my side hustles into main hustles, um, because it is time for us to be able to leave wealth behind so that we, by doing so, are moving the start line closer and closer to our people. Um, because right now, you know, it's going to take several, a few, you know, several years to be able to get it close, but by decisions like this to invest in companies of color, to invest in people like myself, to invest people like you um, who are trying to spread the word and to really just be um, a, a change. Um, we need to just change that culture and say, we, we need the resources right now because we have a lot coming. Um, and we're about to, you know, really explode. Um, and so we just got, we're going we're about to break through. Um, but we need some access to these resources. And so if it's you bringing them um, through your podcast, if it's me bringing them through my, you know, sharing a post or through just saying, hey, I just started my own business, um, then then we do it that way. But we just gotta find that way, and, and I know that we're gonna get
0: there. All right. Well, Alejandro, I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast for, I mean, you dropped a lot of knowledge. Um, I think that a lot of people will gain a lot from what you're talking about and your experience. Uh, So where can people best reach you at if they have additional follow-up questions or would like to uh, check out your hustles?
1: Yeah, I think um, my Instagram at Senator Flores dm me i respond to all my dms um but here are my side hustles and i and i hope that you like and follow them um they all have websites so i didn't talk a lot about my food truck i have a
0: food truck as well take a couple minutes to tell me about it no worries
1: cool yeah so um i just uh, started i bought a food truck four months ago in august um maybe it's longer than that i don't know how, how long ago august was but in august bought a food truck with my business partner uh and just launched it. Um, we're just getting through our winter months here in Colorado. So it's been kind of hard food truck in the dead of winter when you have like her- like blizzards passing through your city. It's kind of hard, but I've learned a lot throughout this process. I'm utilizing the skills that I've learned at Unum sunglasses, the skills that I've learned in my campaign world and organizing. My networks that I've learned over the years, and I'm applying all of those things into my food truck business. Mm-hmm. I'm utilizing all the social media skills that I've learned with Progressive Button, and like my networking skills on how to get catering gigs, and like I now am a mentor for a food food um, food incubator program. Um, that I I, I I when I was asked to be a mentor here, I was like I just started a food truck business four months ago, but like. I pitched it, and I also said yes because of all my other lived experiences and my businesses, and all, everything that I'm using in that into this hustle, into the food truck hustle. So it's Stokes Poke, Stokespoke.com. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a Poke Dish. Um, I'm bringing fresh seafood uh, to the landlocked state of Colorado. Nice. And then Progressive Button, which is ProgressiveButton.com, um, and Sunglasses, unamsunglasses.com
0: awesome well again thank you so much for joining us and uh it's great to meet you and it's you know hopefully we'll be able to be frequent collaborators in the future absolutely all right man thank you all right and that's the end of this week's episode if you're interested in having me come speak at your school church university panel or conference about the podcast or my film from one mistake which talks about my personal motivation for immigration activism that came out of a bias incident in high school, write me in the contact form at www.immigrationmic.com or just send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at handle on the Mic. That's handle on the Mic and let's make some work happen. Till next time, peace.